All right. Well, welcome once again. Uh, I'm excited to be here and um, just to spend this time with you this morning. It's been awesome over the past couple of weeks, uh, two weeks ago, to have Aaron Harvey come back and just kind of share the history of the church for many of you. Uh, you didn't know. Some of you guys don't even know what church was like in the movie theater. And so to kind of hear the history and the story of, of what God has done to bring us to this point uh, was really powerful and awesome. And the, the fault that's kind of continually going through my mind is um, as we enter now into year 16, it's really year 16 is year one, right? Like what if we could plant with all the resources and everything that God has blessed us with in this community of people that are rooted in faith and, and, and just focused on Jesus uh, to start fresh from here and just kind of to, to re-envision the whole thing. And so that's really, as I'm going forward, I, I want to share with you, that that's, that's kind of how my heart is just saying is like, hey, let's, let's pretend like we're starting it all over again. What would we do uh, today to be as effective as we can of reaching this community? And so it was so encouraging to hear where we've come from and to dream about where God is going to be taking us over the next 15 years. And then Keith uh, coming last weekend and just sharing a really uh, powerful message about how, um, how we're called to suffer for the kingdom. And that shouldn't surprise us and that shouldn't discourage us because Jesus, it teaches us to walk along the path that Jesus himself walked. And so uh, that leads us up to where we're at today. Uh, will you join me in a word of prayer as we just prepare uh, to receive what God has for us this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we praise you uh, that, that, that the Bible shows us who you are. We don't worship the Bible, we worship you. But we're grateful for the Bible because the Bible is your truth. It's your inspired word and it teaches us uh, what we need to know about you for, for salvation and for growth and for maturity and for, um, for uh, to become more and more like you and to be effective uh, for your kingdom, God. And so we're grateful that you've given it to us. What a precious gift. Uh, help us to come to it this morning with expectation and, and, and soften whatever hardened parts there are in our hearts um, that would prevent us from, from hearing and applying what you would say to us this morning. God, as I speak, let it be your words, not my words, that, that come forth. Uh, Holy Spirit, work and move in this place today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so you can turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you are going to need it today. And so there's some at, at either doorway here, and I'm sure somebody up here would be, would be happy to bring you one if you, if you need one, and then you can keep it. It's yours. Um, and so as we turn to Acts chapter 15, I'm going to begin with a question this morning, and I want you to each ponder this, and please don't shout it out. <laughs> um, but here's my question for you this morning. Have you done enough uh, to make it to heaven? Uh, are you acceptable to God? If you were to die today, would you stand before God and would he welcome you into the kingdom of heaven? And so I want you to each ponder that question this morning. And as a follow-up, why? So if you're like, man, I hope so, but I'm not sure. Where does the, why are you unsure? What, where does the uncertainty come from? If you're like, I'm definitely in, where does your confidence come from? What are you confident in that would, would assure you that, that you would be received into the kingdom of heaven? And so just take a moment. Um, this is not a, a rhetorical question. This is a real question. Think about this in your own mind. What, what, would, you, what would you base your, your expectation of salvation upon? It's the longest 6.5 seconds of your life right there, right? <laughs> But ponder that and keep that in your mind as, as we're going forward here in the sermon. Now, I'm going to do something really unusual for a pastor here. I'm going to teach you guys a bad word this morning, okay? So you can go and you can uh, tweet it out or whatever. My pastor taught me a, a cuss word this morning, right? Okay? So I'm going to teach you a bad word, okay? You ready for it? And the word is 
and. Now, if I'd really said a bad word, you guys all would have done what? You would have been like, yes, you're like, oh, what? Right? So let's try it again. I'm going to say, I'm going to say the word, and then I want you guys to gasp like I said something really horrible, okay? So the word is and. <laughs> Shocking, right? Shocking. How could he say that? You know, the word and can be, can be good in, in certain circumstances, right? Like if it's peanut butter and chocolate, that's a good, that's a good and. We're into that, right? If it's, uh, if it's espresso and cream, that's, that's a good thing, right? If you can figure out how to have your cake and eat it too, that's pretty awesome. I haven't figured that out yet, but that would be a good one, right? If you're a music lover, you know, uh, in the 70s, you know, Sonny and Cher, right? They were better together than they were apart. If you're in the 80s, like Guns and Roses, right? I know it's an end, but like go with me on this, right? Axl Rose on his own was not as powerful as Guns and Roses. You know, if you're, if you're modern Florence and the Machine or Mumford and Sons, right? The, the and can be a good thing, but, but there's a place where the and is a really bad thing, and it's related to salvation. It's related to our, our justification, our right standing before God. When we enter and in there, then we're in trouble. So our salvation, the Bible tells us that our salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, period, exclamation point, right? And anytime that we add, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and it's like, there should be a big buzzer that comes up, right? That's a, that's a cuss word at that point. You don't say and after that. It comes through uh, faith in Jesus Christ, through the grace of God. There's no and after it, right? That's, that's it. That's, what, that's where it, it stops. But the problem is, is that as humans, we like to add the and. Uh, we just gravitate that way. And so that's what we're going to look at today, the uh, the entrance of this cuss word into the into the equation. And uh, so to give a little context here, we've been studying through the book of Acts, and Paul and Barnabas were sent out. To the, to that point, the, the gospel had really only gone to Jewish uh, believers, uh, Jews who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And so they traveled around, but then Paul and Barnabas did this big circuitous route, and they started to preach to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles began to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so at the end of chapter 14, as Keith shared with us last week, it says, when they arrived and gathered the church together, the church that had sent them out and said, go and proclaim the gospel, and they went and proclaimed, and they came back to the church, they gathered them together, and they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with disciples. Cue the music, roll the credits, like, yeah, we did it, high five, right? Like, that's that's the end of a story. That's a happy ending. But then, <laughs> as any good sequel, right, whenever you see a good movie and it has a happy ending, you're like, oh, that was so fulfilling. That was so, I almost don't want them to make a sequel because they're going to mess it up, right? Because we know what always happens in the sequel. The first movie has a happy ending. It's awesome. It's great. And then at the very beginning of the sequel, what happens? Tragedy, right? Something messes up the happy ending. Everything looked great, and then all of a sudden, what? Ah, oh, it all fell apart. And so that's what we look at at the beginning of chapter 15. Another potential cuss word, but, right? <laughs> so at the beginning of uh, chapter 15, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They came and said, hey, we heard about what Paul and Barnabas did, and that's awesome, and, and you guys are you're like three-quarters of the way there. You're doing really good like with this whole Jesus thing, but unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. You haven't crossed the finish line yet. You have not received salvation because you haven't done this. You need to put your faith in Jesus, and 
You guys are supposed to gasp when I say and. Uh, you didn't know that. All right. Okay. You're supposed to put your faith in Jesus and you have to be circumcised. What? These guys are crazy. Right? But that's what they said. Unless you, according to the customers, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that means they fought it out, right? No small dissension. This is a big dissension. They, they fought out. They debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. All right, we're taking it to Jerusalem, right? We're going to get this thing sorted out. We're not going to allow disunity and dissension to live in the body. We're going to take it, and we're going to figure it out, right? Whatever it takes. So, being sent on their way by the church, I love this part, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So on their way to Jerusalem, they're telling everybody they went, hey, guess what we did? We went and proclaimed Jesus to the Gentiles and they received him and they received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? And everybody's like, yeah. They're like, yeah, that's what we said too. That's why we're going to Jerusalem because we're going to tell these guys that they're wrong, right? They're gathering momentum as they go. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. It's going great. Here it comes again. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. They're not going to let this thing drop, right? Even though they're on the victory parade, everybody's happy, the apostles welcome them, like, hey, great job, everything. But these guys, oh, hold on, hold on, they got to be circumcised. This is necessary. They're not saved until they're circumcised. And so uh, this argument has come in. And so to understand this, uh, what I did this week is I read several times through uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, the, what we have in our Bible, the epistle to the Galatians. And so I want you to put a bookmark there in Acts 15, and I want you to turn to the right a couple chapters. Uh, after Acts, we have Paul's letter to the Romans, and then his letter to the Corinthian church, two of them actually, First and Second Corinthians, and then we get to Galatians. And so if you guys haven't figured this out yet, uh, the New Testament has... Uh, the four accounts of Jesus' life, the four Gospels. Then we've got Acts, the story of the early church. And then it gets into all these letters that were written to the church. We have Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Now we're into Galatians. And so I did ponder uh, briefly, well, more than briefly, reading the entire book of Galatians to you this morning. And it wasn't because I've been working a lot and didn't have time to come up with a sermon, right? But, um, but I did, and I timed it out, and it would have taken about seven and a half minutes, and it probably would have been awesome, and I'll probably regret not doing it. But I'm not going to do it. Um, but... It only would have taken like seven and a half minutes. And so how many of you guys have read through an entire book of the Bible at any point this year, right? After you leave church today, you could go and in less than 10 minutes, you could read through the book of Galatians and really understand this issue deeply. And you might even want to go on to Ephesians and in about 20 minutes, you could read two books of the Bible that could completely change your life. So I throw that challenge out there to you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a, a, a 10,000 foot view of what Paul's argument is in the letter to Galatians. The scholars believe that he wrote this letter sometime after they had obviously established a relationship with the church in Galatia, but before the Jerusalem Council, because uh, scholars argue uh, that if the Jerusalem Council had already happened when he wrote the letter, he would have just said, hey, remember what we did in the Jerusalem Council? Like, do that, right? So he never references that, which means this was probably written in the time leading up to this. And so we get a really clear picture of Paul's view of what's going on in this dissension. And so here's what he says in the letter. Uh, he begins by just introducing himself and stuff. But if we jump into Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6, he says this, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even 
If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so Paul's saying, hey, I don't care if an angel appears to you. If he tells you something different than the gospel that we delivered to you, it's false. It's wrong. And I don't care who the messenger is. It's the message that's important. And the message that we delivered to you is the pure gospel. And then over the next uh, couple paragraphs and chapters, he says, hey, listen, I didn't make this thing up. And I didn't get it from any man. This was delivered to me by God. I had a revelation of Christ, and he showed this to me. And I didn't get it from the apostles. I've, I've met those guys. They were kind of scared of me at first. <laughs> but this is not, it didn't even come from them. This came from the Lord. And so getting down into, into chapter 2, uh, we look at chapter 2, verse 11. We pick up his argument, and he says, uh, but when Cephas, now Cephas is another name for Peter, Peter the Rock, so in Philly we would just call him Rocky, right? Like, we can connect with that. Like, uh, Peter was awesome. You, you know, so Rocky came, right? He says, when Rocky came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, I said, hey, yo, yo, Rocky, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Right? So, uh, so Peter comes to Antioch. He hears about things that are going. He comes. And at first he's hanging out with the Gentiles, but then some other people come from Jerusalem and they're like, dude, what are you, you're unclean. You're, you're not following the law. You, you can't be eating with them. That makes you ritually unclean. And, and Peter bowed to that pressure and stopped meeting with the Gentiles in their home. And then even Barnabas, who had gone on the missionary journey with Paul and was proclaiming the gospel, started to pull back from living and, and eating with the Gentiles. Now here's where, where we get to the heart of the matter, right? Uh, I could preach a sermon this morning uh, that would just be like uh, throwing red meat out and just kind of saying like, hey, aren't these guys dumb? Why aren't, aren't we glad that we're not like these guys? These guys are the worst, right? And I have a whole stand-up comedy routine about uh, people that are like obsessed with circumcision. Like that's a weird thing to be fired up about, right? So, so I could do that whole thing and you guys would laugh and we would all high-five and be like, man, we're not like them. That's awesome. Let's go. And you'd feel pretty good, but it really wouldn't be helpful. It wouldn't, it wouldn't change our hearts. And so a while back, what I realized, and this was a huge thing for me, is that when I read through Scripture now, what I look for, I used to look and I'd say, who are the people that are agreeing with Jesus? Who are the people that are in the right standing? And that's who I related to. I'd be like, yeah, that's, I would have been on that side of the fence. I would have been those guys. Now when I read through and I see the Pharisees arguing with Jesus, I say, how am I, how am I like the Pharisees? <laughs> what part of my heart or my mind is kind of geared in that same way? How am I making the same error that they're making? When this... These Judaizers, when the, the circumcision party, what part of that enters into my heart? Because the reality is we read this and we think, I'm not like them. Look at the person beside you say, I'm not like them. Right? But then look back at that person and say, yes, you are. <laughs> right? Let's be honest. We're like this. Like, so, so let's get it straight, right? Like Peter, who walked on water, who walked with Jesus, who saw 
Jesus in his transfigured form, who denied Jesus and then was reaffirmed by Jesus, who at the day of Pentecost stood up and preached a sermon that saw thousands of people come to Christ, who saw a vision from God coming down from heaven with food, and he said, don't call unclean what I call clean, who witnessed to Cornelius and saw Cornelius, a Gentile, receive the Holy Spirit. That guy started to get it wrong. But you're not going to get it wrong, right? <laughs> so let's be honest with ourselves. We get it wrong. Sometimes our heart gets it wrong. This, has been the, this is what the Reformation, Martin Luther, the whole thing was all about, that, that works. It had become, salvation was through faith in Jesus Christ and, right? That was what the Reformation was all about. And so we're foolish if we think this doesn't exist in our hearts today. And so as I read through Galatians, as we go through the rest of this, what we're looking for is, okay, what was the motivation? What was it that caused them to get off track? What caused them to go in the wrong direction? How are we prone to those same things, and how can we guard our hearts against that? Listen to what Jay Gresham Macon says. I know you guys all love Jay Gresham Macon. You listen to him all the time, right? Here's what he said. He said, the particular form of merit which they induced men to seek was the merit of keeping the law of Moses, particularly the ceremonial law. So at first sight, that fact might seem to destroy the usefulness of this epistle for the present day, for we of today are in no danger of desiring to keep Jewish fasts and feasts. But a little consideration will show that it is not at all the case. The really essential thing about the Judaizers' contention was not found in those particular works of the law that they urged upon the Galatians as being one of the grounds of salvation, but in the fact that they urged any works at all. The really serious error into which they fell was not that they carried the ceremonial law over into the new dispensation, whether God did not intend it to be carried, but that they preached a religion of human merit over and against a religion of divine grace. And that makes it incredibly relevant today, right? That any time that we take the religion, the faith of divine grace, and we try and replace it with uh, a religion of of merit, of earning God's favor, that we fall into the exact same error. And so you might not be tempted to, uh, to push circumcision or, or Jewish ceremonial law, but there's something in your heart that you, that you may gravitate towards, and that's what we want to flesh out this morning. So let's continue to look at, at, at what Paul calls out here uh, in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 2, uh, picking up in verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We're saved by Jesus Christ, we're justified, meaning that when he looks at us, uh, our actions are justified, not because our actions are, are justified, because our actions aren't justified, but he sees the work of Jesus applied to us, and that's how we're made, made right. It's not our merit, it's not our works. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's a powerful question to ask. Uh, hey, if I need to do all this, then why did Jesus have to die, right? If I think I'm going to get to heaven because I'm, I'm a pretty good person and I haven't done anything too terribly bad, then why did the Son of God have to come and die on a cross if I could just do it by, by being pretty good, right? 
Our sin was so serious and so deadly that Jesus had to take our place on the cross. Our sin is worthy of the death penalty, and anytime we minimize that, we miss the truth of the gospel. Any sort of works of merit saying that we can earn salvation nullifies the cross. I don't want to nullify the cross. Do you guys want to nullify the cross? I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty into amping up the cross, right? Well, he continues on in some really awesome arguments that I, that I don't have time to dig into with depth right now, of talking about the law, whether we're children of law or the promise, how uh, that Abraham was righteous because of his faith. And so if we have faith like Abraham, we are the true sons and daughters of Abraham. He talks about Sarah and Hagar, um, how there was the, the child of the slave and the child of the promise, and, and how uh, we're child, children of the promise because of our faith. Uh, but we pick it up over in chapter 5, and this is where it really kicks in, where he, like, he kind of hammers home his argument. So Galatians 5, and like I said, you're going to have to read it all later so you get it all. Galatians 5 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if, I, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So he says, hey, if you want to get circumcised, if that's where you're going to put your, 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 your trust, your salvation, if you're, if you're going to rest in that, then go ahead, but then you've got to keep the whole law. Now you're saying, I'm trusting in the law to make me righteous, and so you better be perfect from here on out. And it's not going to be easy because you've walked away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If we get the gospel just a little bit wrong, we've got it all wrong. <laughs> it's off kilter, right? I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. I love Paul. He just goes for it, right? <laughs> He's like, they're into circumcision, man. I can, I can give them a one-up, right? For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use, and this is, this is cool. This is where he turns the corner. Okay, so at this point, you might say, okay. It's just grace, man. So I guess just do whatever you want. It's a free-for-all, right? Like Jesus died. It's all about him. It's not about our works. So I guess our works don't matter at all. I guess it doesn't matter what we do. It's, it's just all on Jesus. And so he anticipates that argument. And he says this. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So if you're going to walk in the flesh, what does that look like? If you're going to gratify the flesh, here's what he says. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. If we've been saved by the grace of God, why do those things? 
Those are all things that are trying to fill a hole that can only be filled by Jesus. And so if you filled the God-sized hole in your heart with Jesus Christ, why hit the bottle to try and fill that hole? Why do it in human relationships? Why try through envy or strife or jealousy to make yourself feel better than someone else to fill that hole? Why fill that hole with anything but Jesus? Once that, that hole in your heart is filled with Jesus, why do any of those things? If we're led by the Spirit, we won't do that. But on the other end, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Hey, if you've really been saved by Jesus, you're not going to want to do those things anymore. You're going to know they're empty. They're pulling you away from your Savior. You want to go towards your Savior. And he continues on here a little bit, but he ends the letter in chapter 6, verse 11. He says this, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So that's what Paul has to say about it. Now let's apply it to our lives, apply it to our hearts, right? What are, what are some of the things that he says? What were some of the reasons why these people were coming in and trying to do this? Well, first we see uh, in, in Galatians 1.10, we see that they were interested in the approval of man. They were more worried about the approval of man than the approval of God. And so do you incorporate an and into your understanding of salvation because you're seeking the approval of man? Like, hey, hey, you know, I read the Bible, no, I get that and stuff, but... But in my practice, I feel like my parents are going to be disappointed if I don't, if I don't go to their church anymore, if I, if I tell them that I've stopped doing whatever, right? Like, um, you know, I've stopped going to confession. Well, I, I can't stop going to confession because that's what my parents believe, and I don't want to upset them by stopping. So I'm going to keep doing that. I'm just going to, I think God's cool with me doing both. And, and, and hey, we're called to confess our sins, right? So I'm not criticizing that. But I'm saying if you're placing your hope in salvation of like, oh man, I just sinned, I better go confess it or else if I die, I'm not going to go to heaven, then, that's, then, then you've added an and, right? It's faith in Christ and confession, right? Whatever your thing may be, that might be, not be relevant for you, but is the approval of man leading you to add an and? And let's just take a moment, let's step back, let's review. When I asked you that question at the beginning of the sermon, you know, will God accept you into heaven? What are you basing your hope in salvation upon? What was your answer? And can you see the hint of an end in there, right? Well, I think God sees that I'm trying really hard and I've done, I've done as good as I could, right? That points to merit. That points to works. So you were resting on works. Why are you resting on works? Why are you not resting on the finished work of Jesus Christ? What is your motivation? Is it because of the approval of man? Or as it says in verse 114, are you just zealous for traditions, it's like, man, that's what I grew up in. That's just, I'm so comfortable in this. Like, this is what I was trained with, you know, from a child. This is what I, this is what I knew. And so, so I, I don't want to leave my traditions behind. And we can get into this in, in a different kind of way, right? We can say like, oh, we're so much better than that church. Uh, they play organ music hymns. They worship with organs. 
they're clearly they they don't have the gospel, right? They they don't have salvation. You can't you can't do that. You can't worship Jesus and and sing hymns, right? Oh, the guy who stands up front wears a robe. There's no way that that, that he could be preaching salvation if that's what it, right. Sometimes we can get locked into a tradition of of informal dress and singing songs with guitars and drums, and that becomes our new tradition. We've just replaced one with another. Paul says circumcision, uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. It's about Jesus. If there's a church with creaky old pews and a guy wearing a robe and they're playing an organ and they're preaching uh, justification and salvation through Jesus Christ alone, praise God. That's an awesome church, right? If they're making maturing disciples, we're on the same team. Uh, We should honor and respect them. They're they're equipped to meet somebody uh, who needs to hear it in that way. And that's awesome. Should I sing? I'm just playing. My phone's probably not turned off. In 2.12, we see it's fear. Sometimes fear is what causes us to do it. What if my family disowns me? What if if my friends reject me? What if affirming the gospel ruins my life? This has kind of been working for me. It's It's a mixture of faith in Christ and a little bit of superstition and tradition. You know, I want to just put my faith in Christ, but I still feel like I need to... I need to go and do some religious sort of thing so the Eagles will win tonight, right? Like, that's, that's kind of my, yeah, that's my, I, I, mostly Jesus, but a little bit of this, because I don't, I just don't want to mess it up. I'm afraid if I stop doing this religious tradition stuff that I've been doing that I'm going to mess it up, and I don't want to mess it up, right? So I'm, I'm just going to hang on to it. I'm afraid. I'm fearful. It seems too simple, right? Put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's got to be more. There's got to be something else. That doesn't seem to be enough. I got, right? We want to view ourselves as like earning it, working for it, finding our way into it. It's so hard. How many of you guys have a hard time receiving a gift? I do, right? My parents will come into town. They just want to give me something. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, we fight them. We say, no, don't give me. I don't need you. I don't need. Like, let's be great receivers. Man, thank you so much. What a gift. Because that that starts to prepare our heart to be ready to receive the gift that God's giving us, right? We need to learn how to be great givers or receivers and just say, like, wow, what a gift. I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving. I didn't even realize how much I needed it. Thank you. Thank you. In 417, we see that there was a desire to be made much of. When we include religious tradition, hey, listen, when they came and they said, hey, you guys are following Jesus, that's pretty good. That's awesome. But I'm circumcised and I follow the purity laws of the Jewish customs. So I'm kind of like up, up here. You know, you're like a three. I'm probably like an eight or a nine, right? And so you feel a little bit better about yourself. You say, hey, how much did you read your Bible last week? Oh, you know, I only got an hour in each day, you know. Uh, you know, right? Like uh, faith in Jesus and reading my Bible, right? Faith in Jesus and praying. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray, but that's not, the, that's not what justifies you. That should flow the other way around. Because Jesus has saved me, now I want to read my Bible. Who is this guy that saved me? I want to know him. I want to pray and talk to him and and really understand him. And and I see in Ephesians, it tells me that I was created for good work. What are those good works? What am I supposed to be doing? I want to figure that out. So I want to get closer. but, But it's based out of the foundation that I'm already saved. And listen, here's what it does. When you go to bed at the end of the night and you're laying there and you're thinking about your day, and you had a bad day. Uh, you yelled at your spouse, yelled at your kids, you, uh, you did something you weren't proud of, you lay there. There's, there's two options. One, you could lay there and you could be like, man, I really screwed up. I hope Jesus will still accept me. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to have to be twice as good to get back on his good side just to make sure that I'm in. Or the other option is you could lay there and be like, dude, what? I am a mess. 
I needed Jesus even more than I realized. And thank God that he knew that when he died for me. He knew how messed up I was, and he knew how much I was going to mess up today. And it breaks my heart what I did. And I'm going to try really hard not to do it tomorrow. And I'm going to ask for, for more of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to pray, Spirit, uh, take over because I'm a mess. I need you to, to take more control of my life. And I'm going to read my Bible a little bit more just to, so I can try and get my mindset right because I don't want to do that again. I repent. That was horrible. I don't want to do that. But thank God I can lay my head down and I can sleep like a baby knowing uh, that if I die tonight, I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did, not because of myself, right? That's, so it's a, it's a different way of looking at life. And it's so freeing. How freeing is that, right? We can screw up, and we can get up, and we can try again. The desire to remove the offense of the cross. This is a real danger in our society with our culture, right? Because our culture is opposed to the cross. And, and so the question is, does our understanding of the gospel affect the way that we look at culture, or does our understanding of culture affect the way that we look at the gospel? Because our culture is very accepting of things that, that, that Jesus has drawn a line on. And how our heart is oriented is going to decide where we go with that. And so if we want to remove the offense of the gospel, we can say, okay, you can put your faith in Jesus, and if you just kind of want to be a good person, that's okay too. Uh, I'm going to, you know, adopting the approach that, like, hey, we're trying to get to the top of the mountain. We're all trying to go. You can go on the Jesus path. You can go on a different path. Jesus is good and, and, yeah, right, and this path is good too. It's, you know, it's, it's your path. Choose your path, right? We want to remove the offense of the gospel. People are offended. Listen, the gospel is offensive. You're a sinner, and the only way you can be with uh, God is, is through what Jesus has done for you. And you can't do anything to earn it. You just got to take it like a gift, right? That's offensive. People don't want to hear that. They want to hear you're good and special, and, and your heart is of gold, even if you screw up a little bit. And so God's just going to accept you just the way you are, right? That's what we want to hear, but, but the, the gospel is offensive. And so we were tempted to remove the offense by adding an and. They wanted to make a good showing, it says in verse 6, 12, to make a good showing and to avoid persecution. It's the same thing, to remove the offense, to avoid being persecuted. Oh, if I do this, like, what are my friends going to think? Like, if I really stand up for the gospel, are people going to judge me? Are they going to think less of me? Are they going to think I'm sort of a weirdo, kind of out there, crazy person? And finally, he says they want to boast in the flesh. Hey, if we really embrace the gospel, we really don't have anything to, to boast about. <laughs> Our works just aren't impressive, right? The only works that are impressive are Jesus. Look at all that Paul accomplished. Look at all that he did. We would, any of us would love to have his track record of success. And yet, he says, I don't boast in anything except Jesus. That's all I boast in, right? It's an incredibly humbling thing to accept the gospel as it is. Now, here's the, here's the cool thing. Listen to how this ends. So, so he opposed Rocky face to face, right? He went to Peter and he said, hey, hey, you're messing up. How did... How did Peter receive that? How did Rocky receive that rebuke? Let's go back over to Acts 15. I love it, the sound of turning pages. That's great. Picking up in verse 6, or you can look on the screen, right? It says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Essentially, he says this. Hey, guys, we can debate and argue back and forth all we want, but 
God has already weighed in on this. <laughs> God's already given his opinion and it trumps ours. So what we say back and forth doesn't really matter. God already made this clear because he sent the Holy Spirit on them and he didn't make them get circumcised for us and he didn't require them to go through the purity uh, laws and keep all the ceremony. and all. He gave them the Holy Spirit. He put a seal upon them. He cleansed their hearts through faith. And so God has weighed in. His opinion is the one that matters. And so we believe that they'll be saved through grace just like we are. And P.S., the law that we're all dependent on, we haven't done a good job of keeping it. And our dads didn't do a very good job, and their dads. In fact, nobody has done it except Jesus. He's the only one who really nailed it. So let's just rest on him. So the gospel is incredibly unifying in that way. Well, the discussion continues, and we'll pick it up next week. Uh, But where I want to leave it with you guys today is this. Number one, if you've put your faith in Christ, as Paul called to the Galatians, I would call to you, is, is there somewhere where an and has crept into your theology, into your thinking? And maybe not what you would profess if I asked you a test question, uh, but in your everyday life. Do you live as if you're justified by your works? Do you feel good or bad at the end of the day based on how good of a job you did rather than what Christ has already done? Where are you putting your hope and your faith for daily living? If an and has crept in there, I would call you to repent of that today and return to the true gospel, the only gospel. And the other good news is that if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, I want you to know that, that you don't have to work your way up to it. You don't have to come here for the next three months and kind of keep studying and get to a point where you're like, yep, okay, I finally got it. I'm, I'm in. I'm good enough now for Jesus to accept me. He will accept you today where you are. If you look around at everything you've been doing to try to justify yourself and say, this is all rubbish. That's what we call repentance. Just looking at, I tried to justify, I tried to find happiness here. I tried to fulfillment here. I tried to make a name for myself here. None of that accounts for anything. All that matters is what Jesus has done for me. And if you do that and you accept him, you receive him as your Lord and your Savior, thank you for saving me, and now what you say is what I'm going to do, then today you enter into the kingdom. So, band, come on forward. And everyone else, I want you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, the truth that you have called us to this morning. Uh, we thank you that there is no and, that, that, that it's just Jesus. It's through your grace. And we thank you for how freeing that is. And, and freeing, freedom can be hard. <laughs> too much freedom can be challenging. It's a, the, the doors are too wide open, God. Uh, and that's where we need your spirit to lead and guide us. And so for those who put their faith in you, I pray this morning that you'd return us to just resting in you and looking for you to lead and guide us into the things that you would call us to do, the good works that you prepared beforehand for us to do for your kingdom, for your glory, so that we can boast in you. And if there's any here today who have not yet received Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that you would pour your Spirit out upon them, and that they would enter into your kingdom today. And we're told that there will be a celebration in heaven as they come and put their faith in you. And so if if that's where you're at today, I want you to just join me in this simple prayer with all eyes, eyes closed, all heads bowed. And just at your seat, quietly in your head, pray along with me and say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. All the other ways I've tried to justify myself are rubbish. The only way is Jesus. I receive that free gift today. And I place all of my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in the name and the power of Jesus.
Amen. If you will keep your eyes uh, closed, head bowed. If you prayed that today and, and today you've put your faith in Jesus, will you raise your hand just so I can know and pray for you? Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Father, for drawing us here together today. I pray as we go out worshiping, as we're going to pray in this last song, give me faith, God. Give us the faith. We, we need faith. We have faith. We need more, and only you can provide it. And so we pray that you will just continue to infuse us with faith in you as we go forward. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, join us in a final song of worship. Will you stand with us as we, as we go out praising God this morning? Amen.